thousands with one goal in mind. Authentic manhood. for eternity. You know, you probably heard that one, uh, um, that uh, the best thing in life is seeing your mother-in-law's picture on the back of a milk carton. <laughs> or behind every successful man stands a surprised mother-in-law. But... Uh, you know, we're going to talk about uh, the, the issue of an overly bonded mom. And uh, I want to say real quickly that, that what we're not going to do is say that, that a mom who's overly bonded has always been uh, uh, her fault. In other words, there's things that happen that may have caused her to step in and hold on a little too tightly. Uh, but as we dig in tonight, let's try to bring some real balance to how do we find freedom in this area. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would just really understand that that almost all of us here have moms who really do care and did care. And there are some men who are here tonight that that wasn't the case. And, and that becomes really devastating not to have a mom to bond to, a mom who loved, a mom who listened. But we tonight want to also recognize that sometimes moms just wanting to be there, wanting to pour in, uh, might have not let go soon enough. And I pray we would grab hold of how we can bring balance to our life and not have that affect us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a mom is a very important influence in anyone's life, and a father is to have an amazing influence, but maybe without a doubt we see moms having more of an influence, period. Uh, we're not going to be picking on moms tonight, but I want to explore with you the influence that happens when it goes in a way that becomes dysfunctional. Uh, and the reason for that is because we've talked about the fact that we're living in a society that, that since the Industrial Revolution and since World War II has watched men's predominant influence in their life be women. And uh, what happened is because of the absent father, whether he's physically absent or emotionally absent and distant, uh, a mom very often has been forced to fill two different roles. And, and how does she pour into that role uh, in a healthy way? And, and when does she finally let go and, 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 and really encourage manhood? Uh, it's not easy. And, and, and it's difficult. And a lot of moms were stuck in that position. And, and it's not fair. But the mom factor is there. Uh, the bottom line is that, you know, when you see football games on TV and guys are panned in on, I think the number one thing said still is, hey, hi, mom. I was watching the SC game. And did you see three different players had mom underneath their eyes? And uh, it was in honor of them, and that's a good thing. Chuck Colson, uh, in his prison ministry, has found that on Mother's Day, when they go to get out, give out Mother's Day cards to inmates, they almost always run out, and the inmates cry for an opportunity to get a card to send to their mom. And they found on Father's Day, there's almost nobody who wants a card, who has a card to send to the dad. Because at least mom still loved, at least mom was still there. But Henry Cloud talked about the problem of what we call the controlling mom. And uh, he said, Dr. Cloud said that the controlling mom is one of the major reasons for divorce in this country. Quoting him, he goes, a man cannot make a healthy break from mom, marries a woman who is like her, and then he chooses to leave her. You know, you probably heard people say that you marry someone like your mom. Well, the scary thing, according to Dr. Cloud, is his time doing counseling has found that a lot of men do that and they're married to a woman who who is very much like the mother they had that was overly controlling overly involved in life and they can't seem to let go of it there's an area of psychology today called the peter pan syndrome and the peter pan syndrome is a man who never truly grows up from being a boy and he never attains manhood and what happens is he goes out and he looks for a woman to be his windy and they call that the windy dilemma where she'll come in and rather than being a wife or a girlfriend in a healthy way she actually becomes more of a mother and, and that's again why they're very often as a passive male or an absent male in the family when children come uh, one of the phrases someone would use when they think of the over controlling mom and it probably would already make sense is there's a part of you that says, stop controlling me. And, and there's nothing that makes you more angry when someone tries to grab you and control your life. Uh, and you're just, there's something that causes you to see, man, I don't like it when you try to do that. And so if your mother did that to you, there was this, this uh, feeling. Well, then maybe you're dating someone and she begins to do it. It's like, forget it then. 
Uh, and then you get married, you know, and, and, all, and you're like, oh. Or you go, you know, you're a student, you go to school, and, and you have a, a female teacher or professor, and you're like, I hate it when she tries to tell me. And, and you're not able to handle that. And, and what it is, it's an outgrowth that stop controlling me, stop controlling me. Maybe the sign that I need to look and say, did I have a healthy relationship in every single area with my mom? And I think the key is not to, to simplify this, is to understand the complexity of it. Uh, everybody needs to have significant breaks with their mothers, significant breaks with mom. And if you have your books, number A is this. We need to have a break from physical bondedness. Uh, a newborn uh, is one with mom for nine months. She's totally attached to him. And then when the birth comes, there's a time for a breakage, a time for a cutting of the umbilical, a time to move on. Everybody needs a break from physical bondedness. Uh, everybody needs a break from emotional bondedness. Uh, you know, the reality is, is that, that we should, when we're young, bond to our mothers. A child who does not bond to its mother usually has severe social and psychological problems. But a child who does bond correctly needs to have that time of nourishment, that time of affection, that time of amazing unconditional love. But there needs to come a place where there's a, an emotional break that begins to happen. By the way, not just in one time, during the two to five year period, there should be what we call a separation individuation that occurs. And, and then during 12 and up, it's interesting, uh, uh, in a healthy setting, there becomes a separation individuation that occurs until there's a final time of emotional break where you still love your mom but the reality is is that you you're your own man you've gone from being your mom's boy to to a man and you have a, a moment where you say this is it I, I really am separate I really do live my own life uh, uh, most cultures beyond the United States actually have places where a boy is told now you're a man now you you move on and, and yet we don't have anything like that here and what happens is that gets incredibly complicated when we forced women and moms to take on more role and more control and more responsibility than any one parent should because it's always meant to be a team sport. The, the next thing in C is that real health from a man with a mom moves him too. And, and there's a chart there, and I want you to grab this. But, but it moves him too, number one, from oneness with mom literally to a healthy physical separation to a healthy emotional separation to oneness with one, with a one, one woman relationally. Uh, to oneness with a woman relationally. And, and what happens is you see this is a process that we're meant to go through. Now, the separation individuation process is one as a youth pastor I got to understand very well. Because the bottom line is, is uh, again, between two and five, uh, children are wrestling for their own identity, and that's why we call it very often the terrible twos. It's like when they slap at your hand saying, no, don't help me. And they look at you and they throw that temper tantrum because they want to do it themselves. And, and again, that needs to be controlled and needs to be made sure that's a healthy process. But what you've got is a, a two-year-old not wanting to be a baby anymore and trying to explore a whole new way of life. Well, when a, a child turns around 12, it's, it's different for everybody. And maybe because of our society today, it's dropping as low as 9 or 10. What happens is you have young girls and young boys wanting to be individuals. They're wanting control of their life. They're wanting to make their own decisions. As a matter of fact, the vast majority are wanting to face their own consequences uh, uh, in a healthy way. Uh, a young girl or a young boy who's that age, you know what they start to do? They start to look for a significant other adult to learn from. Now, it doesn't mean mom and dad are thrown out, or and mom, in this case, is the only one that's pitched aside. But what happens is, is these young students begin to look for someone else to attach to. And that's why, by the way, real quickly, why it's important we have an amazing youth program here. And it's important we have amazing people staffing that youth program in both paid and unpaid ways who do it, not because of pay, and certainly in volunteerism, it's unpaid, but they do it out of a commitment to say, I want to pour myself into this next generation. I want to help them grow. Because if we can take a student and put them in that environment, what they're going to do in the separation individuation process is look to that leader and say, that's someone I can learn from. That's someone I can go to. That's someone I want to be like. And it gets hard as a parent when they hit that age because what happens is they have this meltdown and they have this problem and you say, what's wrong? And then they look at you and say, I need to talk to, like if they're in junior high, I need to talk to Ronnie. 
And you're like, Ronnie. And, and they go come and talk to Ronnie and come out and goes, oh, it feels so much better. You're like, Ronnie's a kid. He's not even married. You know, what's going on here? And it could get a little threatening for a parent. And, and, you know, and maybe some of them are in fifth and sixth grade. And you hear them say, oh, I want to go talk to Tim and Jill, you know. But let me tell you something. If you're a wise parent, you want that to happen. And uh, by the way, I learned that early on. So when I was raising my sons and I was overseeing the youth department, I made sure and staffed it with the most incredible people ever. And, and my, son, my son, Tim, in particular, it went through this time where I didn't know him. I remember he was in fifth grade, and he was the model son, incredible, always honest, always telling the truth. And then all of a sudden, Mr. Hyde developed in sixth grade, and, and he was, you know, he wasn't that way. And, and I'm beside myself. Well, I had made sure that Tim had knit together with other youth leaders, and the changing force in his life wasn't mom and dad. It was a guy named Josh Cagle, who was one of our youth workers and training to be a pastor, who ticked him aside and began to pour into him and love him. And tell him, Tim, you are okay. And you can tell me things. And you know what? You can trust me. And I want to say what I did is I cheered that on. Because there's got to come a break. And part of that break is Tim becoming his own man. He needed to find other people, especially other men, to look to. Other men to say, you know, that's the kind of guy I want to be like. And a wise parent looks for that. Now, by the way, let me say this. All of us need to be looking for other men to learn from. And I don't know the age breakdown here, but if you're in junior high, it's good for you to look for other men who are older guys and say, I want to learn from them. And if you're in high school, the same thing. And by the way, in college, the same thing. It's good for you to look for that because that's part of you deciding your own individuality apart from your family. You know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, uh, we have... We're eagles, and we're raising these, these young e you know, eagle babies, and at some point, you want to throw them out of the nest so they can fly on their own, and you don't want them to come back to that nest. you got to go make their own nest, and, and you know what? That's what we're doing with kids, and, and a man has to come to a place where he arrives at saying, I'm actually at least embarking on the initial stages of manhood, and I can stand, and I'm separate from mom, and, and, and I'm able to have my own break here. It's incredibly important we do that. One of those places that that ought to happen is in marriage. In Genesis 2, verse 24, it says this. For this reason, to get married, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, that verse intrigues me. Let me tell you why. Because back in the day it was written, they were a very patriarchal society. And that meant this. That, for instance, if I'm the patriarch of my family, then, then all of the family lives in close proximity and we share in the same way uh, of business, whether it's shepherding or agriculture or, or whatever. And we all share in that together. And so when my son achieves the point of getting married, what he does is he goes and gets a wife, she leaves her family, and then he sets up right next door to us. Uh, uh, and you know what? In the South, you still see some of that, don't you? If any of you guys from the South and you go and see all the neighbors and relatives living on the same street still next to each other, and they don't tend to do this big physical separation. Well, you know what is, is God in his wisdom said this, for this cause a man, not a woman. It was taken for granted the woman would leave. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother. A man shall step out and be his own man. A man shall step up and be the leader of a family. And, and, and in conservative Jewish society to this day, they do weddings different than we do. Uh, when we do a wedding, you know, I'm the pastor and I'm standing here and the bridesmaids are coming down the aisle. And then the father comes down the aisle and he stands there. And then I say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And we get lots of different responses. I, I get, you know, her mother and I, or I do, or her family. I actually had a, a dad say, the Bank of America and I. And, uh, you know, but now if we were a Jewish culture, then what would happen is over on this side, in would come the groom walking with his mother and father. And in would come the bride walking with her mom and dad. And they would meet together. And the, the bride's, the groom's parents would do a giving away. A separation comes. And the mom actually proclaims, this is your wife now who you're going to love. And the father proclaims, you now are on your own. And they hand him over symbolizing he's his own man today. And this is your own family. And, and they come together. And, and there's just this amazing moment. And, and all of the society they live in that's invited cheers this on. And, and it's that separation that occurs. And God says, I want that to happen. 
I want there to be a place in your life, not where you say, I'm not a part of my family anymore, but I'm my own person. I'm my own individual. And I stand apart from mom and dad on my own. And if it's only mom, then mom too. Now, we need to grab hold of the fact that, that there is what we call the mother wound. And I'm not trying to, again, get negative, but let's just ask if we have any of that. Uh, and, and notice the definition. Here's the definition. If you're reading in your books, look along. It says, an unhealthy emotional relationship with mother that causes a son to either be threatened by the influence of women later on in life or to over-identify and become submissive to that influence. The key words to fill in are that, that it's unhealthy. It's an unhealthy emotional relationship. It's one that, is, that, that a son is threatened by the influence of women later. Why? Because he doesn't know how to live with them. And he doesn't know how to deal with them. And, or it, it's someone who over-identifies and becomes submissive to that influence, doesn't stand on their own. Uh, it causes you not to be able to relate to women in healthy ways. Uh, and there are important characteristics to understanding if that's true. Uh, uh, and let's go into this under important characteristics. B, number one, the wound is not blatant, but subtle. Now, I think Lewis nailed this one. The father wound is a nasty gash. And, and I just want to say I'm so, I don't know if the word's proud, but I use the word proud of so many of you men who stood up amongst other guys who have come to me or to some others and say, that's, my, that's the wound I have. And I don't think it's wrong to admit you're wounded. It's not wrong to admit you're wounded. It's good to admit you're wounded. And uh, the reality is, is that's a nasty gash. It's a, it's a big void that's missing. Uh, but the, the mother, mother wound is more like a paper cut. Now, that, that means that you probably aren't as wounded. That means you're probably going to be easier to heal. But it also means it's irritating. Have you ever, have you ever had that? You know, i got to tell you this. When I cut off my thumb, it didn't hurt. I cut off that chunk, and I stood there looking at it and putting it underwater. No pain whatsoever. But, but you know what? I've gotten paper cuts, and I'm like, oh, nuts, man. Ow, oh, ow. And, and, and it hurts. And, and I know that maybe some of you are better than I am. But one time I got a paper cut, and I went out to golf, and it kept irritating. I thought, oh, I didn't even want to golf today. Stupid little paper cut. Now, that really bothers me when Tiger golfed on almost a broken leg. But, you know, but I think sometimes, have you ever had something like that? It just bugs the heck out of you. And, and one time I was uh, doing a wedding and I got a paper cut and, and it wouldn't quit bleeding and I ended up getting blood all over my shirt and, and so now I'm ruining a $100 shirt just because I didn't open the envelope quite correct. And it was irritating and it bugged me and it just didn't seem to heal quick enough for me. And, and here's the point, an over-controlling mom is like a paper cut. It's not blatant, it's subtle. Sometimes we have a hard time going, well, wait, is that wrong or not? Wait, no, I, I love my mom, which you should. And she loves me, which she should, but wait a minute, did she just cross a line there? And it seems like the lines get pretty blurry, and, and, and when is it okay? And, and by the way, I'm supposed to honor my mom, which you should. And yet, if I, am I letting something happen that goes beyond honor, and it's now like over control, and it, it's kind of subtle. The next thing is this, number two. The wound is not one of abuse, neglect, or absenteeism. Uh, uh, the father, that's, that's a wound of neglect. It's a wound of abuse. It's a form of abuse. It's a form of absenteeism. That's not what this wound is. It's a wound disguised as love and care. Now, now that's the key here. You've got to grab hold. It's a wound disguised as love and care. It comes from nurture, and it probably starts with healthy nurture, but it can become a place where mom has taken on the father's role, and she doesn't know how to differentiate it. Uh, by the way, I talked to lots of, of moms by some of some of you maybe here who say, look, I know my role is not to be dad, but who's going to do it? And, and are there some men to step up and help my son? Uh, actually, this is kind of interesting. Years ago, we hit a, a time. When we first started doing youth ministry, it was so different. Matter of fact, when I was here at Crossroads, and you know what? We wanted to have a car rally. We thought it was funny to throw 15 kids in the, in the same car and watch them drive around and see if they could make it. You know, we don't do that today, right? I remember one time we had a bus that held 50, and we were so excited we put 120 in it. And we thought that was funny. 
You know, and, and we did stuff like that's how we started. And, and we didn't have all of those, those um, extra protections. Like back then, you know, youth guys, man, they drove girls home and, and it was no big deal. You know, they just took a group of kids and if they happened to drop off a girl last, that, well, that was no big deal. And then, of course, we said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Too many problems are erupting and we've got to be more careful. And wisdom says you don't do that. And, and by the way, I think that maybe we have to be a little hypersensitive today. Well, here's what happened is, is I remember I put into place a policy that said, you know, for instance, no man ministers to any girls here unless he does it with his wife. And, and, and the word didn't get out correctly. And a mom of two daughters came to me and said, Chuck, um, I heard you're not going to be, you know, you, you've been kind of close to my daughters. I, I heard you're, you're going to stop that. And I said, well, wait, I don't understand what you're saying. And she started to cry. She goes, do you realize my daughters don't have one significant male role model in their life? And if you back away, they have nobody. And I, I need you to pour in. And, and I said, well, oh, no, 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 you misunderstood. I, I'm still going to pour in your daughter's lives, but it's me and Pam together, never separate. She goes, oh, wow, because they need that. Well, I got to tell you, as much as girls need it, and they do need it, guys need it too. And they need that male figure who, who pours in. And, and a lot of moms are going, I don't know what to do because I was stuck in that role. And, and, and by the way, stuck might be an accurate term for that. It's not because she doesn't love the son. It's just she's stuck. What is she supposed to do? And, and it starts out by a, a, a role of love and care, but it crosses over because no one else is there to help. By the way, let me say as a, a quick parenthesis, that's why we've got to get good in this church of raising up godly men who can pour into the lives of others. We've we got to get good at that. And, and there's a cry for it today. And we can all make a difference in ways that are amazing. Number three, this is not a wound of inattention, but a wound of overattention. It's not a wound of inattention, but a wound of overintention. It's not that they, they ignored you. Now, if you've been ignored by mom, if you have been neglected by mom, that's a whole nother wound. And we're not getting into that one tonight. We're talking about the mom who's too involved, who's too in the midst of it, who jumps in too quickly, and, and she has to know every area of your life, and, and she's like the mom you just saw in here. The minute there's a fight to fight, she picks up the axe and says, I'm going to go battle it for you. And it's like, wait a minute, when do I learn to fight my battles then? And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a wound of overattention. Number four, this wound looks like love, but it feels like control. It looks like love, but, but it feels like control. And, and that's where, again, I want to say, if you have this wound, there, that, that word may not be the actual word you think of, but it's going to be at least that or close. Stop controlling me. I want to live my own life. I'm sick of being told what to do. I'm sick of someone treating me like I can't make a decision. And, and that's where this starts to flow in. Number five, the wound is so powerful, it can wrongly shape or warp the masculine psyche. Uh, because a man feels tethered to mom and mom's feelings and control. He, he, he isn't able to step back and let her just be her or her on her own. And uh, so what happens is what feels like love ends up being demand for control. And, and it ends up wounding the psyche of a man to be able to rise and stand. Now, how does this wound occur? That's where we're at number four in the book. It often begins with an absent or distant father. Again, that's usually what happens. And God's ideal, God has designed that we have a mom and a dad. Uh, by the way, everybody who studies on family admit that's what God wants. Uh, and what is not only what God wants, what's healthy. To have a loving, caring, attentive, active father in a life. And to have a loving, caring, active mom in a life. And when a, a child has that, the security that's there is amazing. And, and the, the, the opportunity for that child to have a successful life is incredible. And when they balance their roles correctly. But you know what? When that father is absent or that father's distant, then someone's got to step in. And here's the bummer. Usually the mom steps in showing strength. The mom steps in showing strength. The child grows up and maybe the father's at home, but he realizes very quickly mom's in charge. Mom makes the decisions. Mom has the control. Mom is the one who, who orders things around. Mom tells when we're going to do or not do something. And, and especially for a boy. That, that's the wrong message to get. And, and so what happens is she's the one who shows strength. Uh, by the way, I just need to say real quickly again, I, this is not the home I was raised in. 
Uh, my mom was strong, and if any of you have met her, she's really strong. But you know what? When I got busted and I heard these words, wait till your father gets home, I knew who had the strength. And, and you know what? When Pam and I got married, we took on that role too. I, we actually had graduated levels of punishment. Pam would do this or this or this to punish the children. But if they reached a whole new level, she was like, all right, that's it, you guys. When your dad walks in the door, I'm telling. And they were, oh, and it was like, oh, my gosh. Because when dad showed, it was the whole last level. Uh, uh, 90% of the spanking was done by me. And, and by the way, I want to tell you, I'm not at all in favor of abusive style of spanking. My favorite way to spank my sons was to take them in the bedroom and say, why do you think you're about to be spanked? And they'd sit there quivering and have to explain it. Then I'd say, I want you to think about why I'm about to spank you. And I'd walk out. <laughs> and then I'd have them lay on the bed and I'd, I wouldn't have to do very much. But the point was, there was the final answer and authority there. And in my home, I was raised with it. And it wasn't abusive. And I really believe in my sons would say what we did wasn't abusive. But what I can tell you is they knew who the man was of the family. They knew where the strength was coming. They knew the line not to cross. And I don't know if you remember the day, I do very vividly, where I, I was a, a junior high student and I realized I was stronger than my mother. And I made the, the, the quick remark I shouldn't have made to let her know that. And my dad happened to be standing behind me and I didn't know it. And my dad practiced a very biblical thing. He laid hands on me. <laughs> I knew who was the strength of the family then. And my dad told me women never get treated like that. And it was ended right there. And you know what? I, I got to tell you, there's, there's a problem when the mom has to be the strength all the time. When she has to be the one who makes sure the income's coming in and the kids are fed and dressed. When, when she's got to be the one who always gets up in the middle of the night because the kid's sick and, and the dad won't get up and he, he marches in and, and takes that noble position of grabbing that son. And, and when the son throws up, the dad tells the mom, no, that's mine. And he goes in and, and he takes over because the messy things are his. And uh, you know what is is, you know, when the dad says, you know, I can go without sleep and still work my job because my kids are worth it. And uh, you know what? There's got to be a place, but when moms are forced to always be the one who takes on that role, uh, of course there's a change, a warping to what's going on. And it's not that women aren't strong, but they're to be cherished. And when she's in a position she's never cherished and she's forced to show strength, it, it hurts. It's, it's not good. Sociolog sociologist Marion Levy says this, an overabundance of female mentors without the balance of a male mentor is a historical peculiarity like nothing that we have ever seen. And what we are reaping today is the feminized man. Now, as a sociologist, and, and not with an axe to grind, and I'm not even sure a Christian, she's saying, you know, what I'm watching today occur, and our studies are showing, is that we're seeing men after men after men with no mentoring, no model to follow. And what we're seeing now is because of that, an overabundance of female role models, and we're watching what we call the birth of the feminized man. Now, by the way, don't confuse what she's saying with the effeminate man. Uh, a person can be feminized without being effeminate. Uh, in other words, they may look strong on the outside. They may act strong on the outside. And, and yet what happens is they, they don't handle their lives as a man should handle it. And there are differences in how we handle things. There are differences in how we're made. Now, I know they're, they're unique to each of us. But what happens is men who are raised in that position very often will take on what we would consider more feminized characteristics of handling things. Number one, he, he may be incredibly passive. He may find himself waiting, never taking responsibility and having the risk to lead. He may find himself deferring all the time to someone else. Uh, he doesn't know what it's like to stand as that warrior. He doesn't know what it's like to stand in. Now, I know what I'm about to say is going to uh, have the potential of sounding very chauvinistic, but, you know, I'm going to say it anyway, okay? When you ever watch, uh, okay, as a youth pastor... If I put a group of girls in the room, I could find evil rising up very quickly. Now, I'm not kidding about that. I mean, I put a group of girls in the room, and all of a sudden, the pecking order starts. 
And there was always a girl who was going to rise up and make sure the rest of the girls knew that they better not cross her or they paid. And the cat fight started. And, and the bickering occurs. And, and I got to tell you that I've watched this happen year after year after year. And it's not a generational thing. It's just a, a, a feminine thing. And you know what? I've seen it happen in, in young first through third grade girls. I've seen it happen in, in a group of elderly women at a quilting place. You know, I'm not kidding. But I want to tell you this. I throw a group of guys in the room. And you don't always see that. And, 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 and you don't find people getting mad and upset and all of a sudden storming out, typically, if they're not feminized. And they usually can take a confrontation without making it personal. And they're not going to you know, literally rise up and say, that's it, I'm out of here if you treat me like that again. Why? Because guys can handle it. And uh, you know what? As over the years, you watch that happen. And, and yet what she's saying is we're beginning to see a blurring of this. We're seeing men act like women towards each other. And uh, that's not healthy. That's not good. That's not what we were created to be. And uh, just as there's a positive side to being a woman and a negative side, there's a positive side of being a man and a negative. But what we're saying is we're watching guys take on the negative side of being a woman. And uh, th that's not okay. It's, it, it, it's scary when we see that happen. And so we see this movement right now that's actually going on in the state of California to say, let's don't even say there's a difference between men and women anymore. Uh, there's a, a, a bill that was actually signed. The good news, it's not being acted upon very much, but it's SB 777. I hate the fact that it has sevens in it. It ought to be SB 666. But um, it says this, that in any school in, Southern, or in, in the state of California that does, uh, that's not a Christian school, that's a public school, you can't have a difference between men and women. In other words, it's not okay. You're ready for this to have boys and girls locker rooms. There just needs to be locker rooms, and everybody chooses which one to go to. Now, I don't know about you. I already see problems with that, Do you, especially in junior high. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Is, is, is they said, you know, for instance, even though study after study shows that, that males who are put in a math class together apart from females, both groups do better in learning math, that we're not allowed to do that because now you're making a differentiation between the two. Uh, that you ha can't have a homecoming court any longer that has kings and queens. In other words, guys can be girls and girls can be, and you can just mix the two. And, and if you want to get st state California money, you have to abide. Well, it it's ridiculous. We know there's a difference between men and women. We know there's a difference in sexuality. And, and not just physically, but in the way we approach sex. Uh, we know that's true. And, and we know there's a difference in the way we handle interpersonal relationships. I mean, you can see it. And, and yet what we have today is a group of feminized people trying to push that upon all the society and do away with men standing strong. And, and we're not saying that women shouldn't be strong. Strong men are not afraid of strong women. What we're saying is, is there's a fear of strong men in our society today. And uh, every time you rise up like that immediately, you're chauvinistic. But the truth is it's there. And it's God created, God ordained. He created us to be male and female. He created us to have differences. And we need to grab hold of that. Number B. It can also be influenced by one of the four types of moms. There's four types of moms that can inflict this wound. And I want you to think this through with me. Number one, the ignorant mom. Now th this is not meaning she's ignorant as in not intellectual or not caring or not smart. Let's don't put that word on it in that way. She doesn't realize she's wounding you. She's an ignorant mom who doesn't realize that what she's inflicting on you is hurting you, and, and she's not sure how to put an end to it even when she does. She doesn't understand how much power she has in her son's life. She still talks to her son like he's a boy even when he's in his 30s. She does not see the need for separateness. So he's 18 years old, and guess what? She still wakes him up so he can go to school. He's 18 years old. She still writes his checks. He's 18 years old, she makes excuses for him when life is tough. When he loses his job because of irresponsibility, she says, they just don't understand you, not you're irresponsible. Uh, she probably still does his laundry, still makes his bed. And when he needs a job, she goes and gets the job application. And you know what's scary? She might even fill it out for him. And she pays his insurance and she pays his tickets and she gets mad that he got caught. And she has no idea how much she's affecting him, how badly she's hurting him. You know, not teaching them, get up on your own. You're a man now. You're not teaching them, you know what, make sure you're there early. 
And if you don't, you pay the price. Not teaching them you need to have a job and do a job well. And, uh, you know, not saying, hey, when you have to fight a battle and there's a conflict, you go stand in there and do it. I'm not going to do it for you anymore. And uh, she doesn't realize how bad she's hurting them, the, the, the ignorant mother. Uh, number two, the needy, hurting mom. Now, what this is, is the mom who, because she's lost a husband, she, she has this huge need in her life. And she ends up allowing her children to fill that need. She, she lives for her kids. Now, by the way, it's not wrong to live for your kids. But the problem is when living for your kids means that they're everything to you. More important than God. You don't have other friendships. Uh, you're not pursuing quality outside interests to make you a more balanced person. Everything in life revolves around the kids and her. And the kids get the message, the day you leave, I have nothing and I'll be lonely. And because the bottom line is I need you here. And I gave everything to you. I was always there for you, and now you can't ever leave me, even when you get married, even when you have your own wife, even when you have your own family. And this mom, it, it, this is a tough one because Christmas comes, and you're a young married couple, and you want to have your own Christmas. Well, that means she'll be alone. And I would say, no, you got to have her with you, but you got to make sure it's boundaries. But it'd be better if she had a place for herself to go to. A place to let you be separate, a place to let you make your own traditions. And then join in at some other place and have that be a new tradition where the whole family separates. But she can't do it because she's needy and, and she doesn't know how to make it without her children, especially her son. And so she holds on too tightly and that wounds him. And, and man, I can't tell you the battles that I've seen erupt when, when the new wife is saying, well, what about me? When do I finally get my own? And, and I know this seems a little extreme, but I had a, a young, young married girl one time look and say, I hate to say it, but when she dies, I finally get happiness. And she hated herself for feeling that way. But she felt like she was always going to be second to the, the matriarch kind of thing. And, and, and it just killed her. And the wound was infecting the, the marriage. Number three, the unwilling to release mom. She just isn't willing to let go. Uh, she's a strong will type that always has to have control, and she makes sure you know it. She's quick to tell you what to do. She's quick to tell you what to think. She's quick to tell you when you're wrong. She's quick to tell you where to be and, where, and, and what time to be there. Uh, uh, and this mom, even when you're in your 40s, might try to punish you for showing up to a family event late. You know, and you're like, wait a minute. And she's like, no, and she's going to let you have it. And, and, and she never has let go. She demands that you be at her house for holidays knowing that, that she has to have control. She comes to your house and she tells you how to live in your own home. And uh, she begins to give orders about where things should go and, and may even go in and rearrange things. And you're like, wait, this is our house. Uh, she tells you how to raise your kids. And you may have made a, a decision, you know what, uh, we want to raise our kids to, to, to eat only healthy food. And, and she's decided, no, I'm going to make a power play. And she's going to give them ice cream because she gave you ice cream and it didn't hurt you. And you're like, wait a minute. I, I just saw, I like the show, not everyone likes it, but I like the show Desperate Housewives. And uh, there was a scene where, where Breanne, uh, who, Bree, who's a, a very over-controlling mom and, and person, period, her daughter has decided to raise her son... Her daughter has decided to raise Bree's grandson as a vegetarian. So what she did is she took him apart and started feeding him hot dogs. You, you see a pro I see a problem with that. You might say, well, I don't think kids should be vegetarian. Well, I would say that's a parent's decision. And the mom doesn't get to jump in and overrule it. We got to know our boundaries. Uh, and you know what is, is when you don't do that, it creates amazing conflict. And here's what happens too often is that conflict gets inflicted and the son doesn't stand against the mother. And now the wife is furiated. And then she decides, the wife decides, well, you're not going to stand up to your mom. I will. And now she's the person of strength in the family. And she's the person to take control. And now guess what you have? You've got a man with an over-controlling wife and an over-controlling mom. And, and he just can't bring himself to choose. Well, I would say it's not about choosing. It's about rising up and being the man. Now, when you do that with an over-controlling mom, she's not going to cheer for you. She's not going to write you notes of gratitude. She's not going to say, oh, thank you. I finally raised you to be a man. You know, and, 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 and to quote one of my all-time favorite books, 
in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. I want to promise you, if you get in the pit with that lion, you're going to get scratched. But you're going to come out a man. And you're going to come out stronger. And you're going to have to say, here's the boundary. And mom, if you can't live by it, I'm sorry. And the pain can be immense if she won't own up to the fact she's got to back off. But healthy people have to operate in healthy ways. And, and it's not an easy one to do. Um, she's the person who's always doing these power plays. And she's always asking your loyalty and demanding your loyalty. Uh, this kind of a mom, by the way, might have been the one who, when the divorce occurred, she always started playing co competition games with you caught in the middle between you and your dad. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, I always warn divorced parents, never put your kids in the middle. And, and, and if nothing else, just be friends for them. Be respectful for them. And as far as it depends on you, Book of Romans says this, make sure you're at peace. And uh, uh, too often, that's what happens. Now, number four is the fill in the gaps moms. Uh, the fill-in-the-gaps moms is the one who does have to jump in because no male will. She's the one who had to go teach the kid to throw balls. She's the one who had to teach him to kick their soccer ball. She might have had to coach the team. And I want to say that kind of mom, you got to, she's heroic. She, she went in and she made sure her, her child had every opportunity he or she could. And, and you got to praise and cheer for a mom like that because she's just doing it, not because she, she wants to necessarily. She's doing it because the child matters so much. But the problem is she's been filling in the gaps and filling in the gaps and filling in the gaps. And, and she might not have realized there's a day to let go and release. And, and I'll tell you what would make it easy on that mom is when, again, men in a church would rise up and mentor. Mentor young kids. And pour into their life and make sure they're loved. Now, number five says this, how this wound manifests itself in adulthood. There, there's two responses, and we got to get to this tonight. How do we respond when this wound has been inflicted? Now, not all of you have had it inflicted, inflicted on you, but if you have had this affliction occur, how are the two main responses? Well, it's interesting. Prentice Tipton uh, wrote a book called The Crisis in Black Manhood. Now, but this applies beyond just the black community, but this is a black psychologist, sociologist, and he's talking about what happens when there's such an absence of fathers in the black community and strong women raising. And what occurs out of that? What do we see rising up? And I want to say again, it's not a black or white or gray or, 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 or brown issue. Uh, it's not a racial issue because I think we see this in all areas. But this is his findings. He says, our tendency for boys growing up in such circumstances is to rebel against women who are authorities over them and become socially disruptive irresponsible in the family and work commitments, overly assertive about their manly prowess, especially in sexual areas, leading lives characterized by violence and crime and alcoholism and other addiction. Another tendency for young men is uh, to identify with adult women who are authorities in their lives and to learn and behave and react in the ways that are more appropriate to women than to men. To the extent that the young males take either option, they do not learn the discipline, the responsibility, and the character involved with being a man. He says there's, there's the two roads you can go on. Now think about what those roads are. Number one, A, and he's right on this, men become dominant and controlling towards women. One way to react to an, uh, a, a mother-inflicted wound is now you decide, I'm never going to be controlled like that again. I'm never going to let anybody do that to me again. So therefore, I am the one who's going to be dominant and controlling. And abusive men can rise up out of this, whether it's physical abuse, mental abuse, or, or, or aggressive intensity that's way beyond normal. And that's not the right reaction. It's an overreaction. And, and Tipton said this, because they cannot relate to women, they see all women as a threat. They need to prove they are dominant. They look for women they can control. Anytime she expresses her thoughts and her needs, he sees that as her trying to take dominance. So he contends with her. You know, he makes sure that, you know what, she never has any money to spend. She doesn't have a credit card. And if she does, he berates her when she uses it for something. And he says, you know what, we made an agreement, we're not spending money. I can't believe you did that. And then two days later, he comes walking in with new golf clubs. And it's like, well, but I needed those for my work. And it's like, no, we're not getting that particular computer. But later on, he decides he needs the big screen, so he gets it. And he makes sure she knows constantly that her needs are always second to his. And that is not how a godly husband acts. And maybe it's not a husband, maybe it's a boyfriend. 
a boyfriend who's always making sure she knows that she's lucky to have him. And, and he's always doing things that brings her to the point of tears. And, and he makes attacking and insensitive comments. Or, or even the thing is this, a lot of guys who are this way, they, they act like they don't even notice. And what happens is you have, you know, the young mom standing there with the kids and, and she's hurting and she's wanting help and the guy's just standing there acting oblivious to it. He's too strong to have to be brought down to having to step in and, and it's a way of showing control after control after control and, and it's abusive and abuse is always wrong. And it doesn't matter what level of abuse we're talking about, abuse is always wrong. Let me say this, and I know I'm going marriage mostly on this one. But, but a guy who's come out of that setting and gets married struggles with what it means to make his wife feel special. And yet that's a command of God, that a man makes the woman feel cherished and special. Uh, it's that a man would treat her in a tender way. Not because she really is weak, but as a weaker vessel. And this guy can't do that. And, and that means, by the way, you don't talk harshly. Overly assertively. You know, you learn to, to tone it back. Not, not because she can't take it, but because she deserves that kind of respect. Now, I know that not everyone here will agree with this, but i got to say this. I miss the days. I miss the days when a guy would say a word and someone would turn and say, there are women in this room. You shouldn't talk like that. And they're like, oh, you're right. I didn't know. And, and you know what? Not too long ago, Pam and I are standing in a place and a bunch of junior high kids, man, our mouths are pouring the most vile crud you could imagine, and they could care less. My wife was standing there. And you know why? We, have, we haven't raised men. And they act like they can be demeaning and they can be perverse. And, they, and, no one should, and you know what? It, 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 the society, it, it's not obviously not godly, but it's, it's not strong. It's weak. And uh, you know what? A, a guy who gets this way that's overly dominant and treats girls like they can be things or don't matter or treats them as sexual property to be used, man, that's, that's, that's the sign of a man who never matured. And we have a society where guys weren't given that chance. Uh, uh, the other way that men can react is this. Uh, it says men can become passive and submissive towards women. Uh, by the way, according to Tipton, this is the greater number. The, the abusive side, the intense side, the, the, the mean-spirited side. He says, well, that's there, definitely there. And, and it's a horrible problem to have. The truth of the matter is the passive side is a far greater number of men. And, and what happens is they find themselves caving. And, and according to Tipton, now again he's speaking within the black community, but I think it goes beyond that. Guys under 30 now, this has become an epidemic of passivity at a level that we've never known before. Uh, uh, not taking initiative, not working hard. Now if you're a young guy here, let me say this. Uh, I, you actually live in a pretty incredible time. If you're a young guy here and you can read at a 10th grade level, you've already surpassed 90% of the people you go to school with. That's all it takes to stand out, read at a 10th grade level. If you're a young guy here and you can spell at a 9th grade level, you've beat most of the people in your school. If you're a guy here and you actually show up early for work, work as hard as you can and leave, you've beat 100%. <laughs> I mean, it, it, by the way, you might, here's the point. It doesn't take a lot to stand out anymore. And, and, and the Bottom line is, guys, it's time for you to jump in. It could not be a better time to stand as a man. Take responsibility and live life that way and attain and have excellence and a desire and a drive. And, uh, you know, we could really see some amazing things happen in your life. Uh, uh, but you know what? Is, is a, a man who becomes passive, they begin to shrink. When life gets tough, they fold, they give up, they whine, they complain. They think it's not fair. Oh, it's not fair. By the way, real quickly, Life's not fair. Let's all just buy that one, okay? It's not fair. It's not going to be fair. You know, when someone, someone goes, oh, it's not fair. It's like, well, yeah, it's not fair. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Don't expect it. But you know what? Go win the battle. Go attain. Go rise up. And uh, we need to grab that. Proverbs 24, verse 10, listen to this, says, if you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. Now, that is so simple, we could let it fly by. But it is so deep, we shouldn't. If you are slack, if you find yourself shaking, if you find yourself not strong, if you find yourself not standing in the day of distress, well, it just tells you a lot about you. And yet, if you're in the day of distress and you rise up, well, what does that tell you about your character? 
And, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is, is God gives us times of stress on purpose. It's God's gift to us to strengthen us. And we need to find ourselves growing in strength, not fainting in times that are, that are, that are, that are difficult. And now here's what gets scary about the passive man. Get ready. The passive man attracts girls who want to take care of him. She, she likes how sensitive he is. And I'm not against sensitivity in the right way. But she likes how, oh, he's so sensitive. She likes the fact that, you know what, he, he, he needs someone. Oh, he needs me so much. And, you know, so what happens is girls are attracted not really to a, a man, but to a, 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 someone they can baby. There's this motherly instinct that's met, and she doesn't even realize it. She just thinks that he's so sensitive. She thinks it's, she's so needed. She thinks, you know, I've got to be there for him, and, 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 he, and, and he, I've got to help him. And so what happens is he enjoys all this attention. And by the way, usually a lot of affection comes with that, and he enjoys it, but it's not healthy. And, and then what happens is they, they end up getting married, and she ends up excelling. And she starts to meet guys who excel. And she looks at him and says, well, what's wrong with you? Or she has a child. And she realizes, no, I don't have one child, I have two. And, and she's, she's like, well, I'm tired of this, but it's a little too late. Unless, unless there's a change that occurs within his character. And it only occurs when we realize that's our problem and we say, I'm not going to live like this anymore and you turn to a God who loves you so much, he gives you a new heart, and he gives you new strength, and he gives you a new calling in your life, and you let him take you in that direction. Now, I'm going to add this. This isn't in your book, but get ready for this. Another reaction is anger. Uh, I, I think that without a doubt, um, what I've seen is a lot of guys either be uh, overly uh, intense and, or they've been passive. But I really want to separate this one out, anger. Uh, any authority makes you angry. Not just women. You don't like it when anybody tells you what to do. By the way, this really did happen. I remember a young guy who just couldn't stand his mom and his stepdad. And to be honest, they were great people. And he got so tired of being told what to do. And he didn't like teachers telling him what to do. And he sat in my office. And I said, so what are you going to do? He said, man, I'm sick of people telling me what to do. I said, then what are you going to do? He said, I'm joining the Marines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it didn't work. I, uh... No, he read this really happened. I'm like, okay, you're in trouble, dude. <laughs> But you know what? All of us know, number one, I, I said, this isn't like an order, but we all know life's not fair. Number two, everybody's got to be accountable to somebody, right? Authority is not to be feared when you do the right thing. Now, if authority is abused, that's one thing. But you know, the truth is a wise person wants to be in places where people are holding them accountable. Even if you're the CEO of a company, the best thing you can have is a board that's involved in what's going on. But you know what? Most of us don't hit CEO. And the truth of the matter is, there needs to be sources of authority at different times. But this, what happens is the person who's come out of this environment gets angry that anybody tells them what to do. You know why? Because when the teacher got mad at him, the mom says, that teacher is wrong. And I'll go down there and take him. And you've learned, well, see, then the teacher's wrong. And by the way, I think this is true. 99% of the time, the teacher's right, right? And, and maybe you don't agree. I do. And, and you know what? It's... I, again, I go back to my dad. When I got in trouble from the teacher, I got worse trouble at home. And I always had to go back and apologize. And one time I, I was just convinced my dad, dad, you don't understand. She really is wrong. And he looked at me and said, you know what? When my, when my, the colonel I serve under is wrong, I still follow orders because I respect the position. You go respect her anyway. I'm like, oh, I hate that. And, and, and you know what, though, if you've never had anybody tell you, no, it's time to submit in a, in a wise way, not in a demeaning way, then what happens is anger is there. You get so angry. So what happens is you, you can't stand your boss telling what to do. You can't stand uh, uh, your mom anymore telling you what to do. And she makes you angry. And stop controlling me and stay away. And then when you get a girlfriend and she tries to tell you what to do, man, she's out of here. And, and, and you know what the reality is, is when you come into a church, and we're not talking about me. When you start realizing God starts telling you what to do, then what happens? You're like, forget it then. And uh, it says in Samuel that the sin of rebellion is the same as the sin of divination or witchcraft. That's in 1 Samuel 15, 23. 
it becomes one of the most satanic holdings someone could have in their life. But there's an answer. And I want to give you the, 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 the overarching answer. And the next week, Doug Hughes is going to take us through the, the more specific. But let me give you the overarching. And that is to turn your life over to God in a real way. That's to say to God, you are the one who causes me to be a brand new creation. Uh, for some of you, you have the absent father wound. And the Lord says, then let me be your father. And let me make you a new creation. And let me take you away from that. And behold, all things will become new in your life. And maybe it's the mom issue. And God says, well, then let me come and take you. And let me cause you to rise up and give you hands that don't shake and knees that don't quiver. And let me fill you with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 1.7. Not a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power and love and self-control. One that knows how to have that balance in life. And God says, I want to pour that Spirit within you. And immediately the fruits will start to come. And I'll take you on a journey of health. And so uh, the key to all of this is really being a Spirit-empowered man. To saying to God, I need the Holy Spirit. I need your authority in my life. I need to submit to you. I'm, I'm ready to do that. And tonight, if, if you know that's what you need, whether maybe it's not the mother wound, maybe deep down you're saying, but you know, something's just not right in me. Something's not there. I'm not finding my purpose, my direction. Then what I encourage you to do is now tonight is make that commitment to God or make a recommitment to him. Let's pray. Father, I pray and I ask that we would... We would be the men you want us to be. And Father, I pray that what I shared tonight would in no way be an attack on women who did everything they could to raise their sons correctly. But maybe they were left in an unfair situation. Maybe the boundaries weren't easy. Maybe there was just a point they were desperate and didn't know what to do. But, but God, we know this, that even well-intentioned moments can cause things to come that aren't good. And I pray, though, that we would never dishonor what was tried when they tried their best. I pray, God, tonight we're not demeaning towards women, period. That we value women. We want them to be everything they're created to be. We're not afraid for them to rise up and be strong and, and, and excel and, and succeed. But, God, I pray that in the midst of that, we also would not shy away from being the men we're supposed to be. And there isn't anyone in this room, including me, that at times, Lord, we don't quiver inside. And we don't wonder, why? Why am I this way? And while the answers are there, the ultimate answer is you. And I pray tonight, if there's a man here who needs to give his life to you, a man here who needs to commit themselves to you, who needs to say they want to follow you and they want to be yours and, and they want to be that new creation inside and they, they don't want to be held back by any of these things but that would keep them from being who they were meant to be or the life they were meant to live. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit now would stir and touch them. And tonight, Lord God, that they would want to make this commitment to you and ask that we keep praying. And tonight, if you want to commit your life to Christ or recommit, I want to invite you to do that, to let God take you and love you as a father, to let God help you and God guide you into the man he wants you to be. And what you need to do is right where you're sitting is pray a prayer just to commit your life to him completely. And tonight I want to ask if God's calling you to do that and you want this, you want this from God, you want his spirit, you want his strength, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to pray this prayer. And if you'd pray it with me, I want to ask you to do this. Would you just lift your hand in the air and look at me and then you can put it down. Tonight, is God touching any of you guys? And this is your moment to say yes to him. This is your night to commit to him or recommit. Just lift your hand where I can see you. Praise God. That is awesome, man. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Just take a second more. Anyone else? God's touching you. He cares about you. This is your moment. Just lift your hand where I can see you. Right here. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. And you too. Praise God. And each one of you. Wow. And right here, praise the Lord. Wow. Praise God, man. The Spirit's touching you. You're ready to do this. You haven't let me know yet. Let me give you a second more. Anyone else? There's already quite a few guys. Right over here, too. Praise the Lord. Wow. All you guys, man, this God looks at you. He loves you. He has an amazing life for you. Just whisper these words with me. Say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new. I want to give my life to you. 
and I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you have created me to be and to live the life that you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, praise God for all you guys who prayed that prayer.